All right. Good morning, Four Oaks Church. Pastor Paul here. I'm still trying to get used to this radio announcer microphone and this radio announcer setup. People say I have a face for radio, if you know what I mean. So we're getting used to this, but we're so glad that you are here. It is now, what, Thursday morning, <clears throat> October 21st, 2021. Um, it's been a beautiful week of weather, and hopefully it will be the same, it should be, for our outdoor sunset service on um, Sunday. Looking forward to that. But for, for this morning, we're in Romans chapter 3. We call this Romans Rewind because we are coming sort of parallel to our preaching series through the Book of Romans on Sunday mornings at Four Oaks. And we're picking up ideas, concepts, themes that we just didn't have time to unpack within a sermon. And that is particularly relevant when we come to Romans 3, 21 through 26, because it is undoubtedly, and and you know, us pastors are are prone to hyperbole, undoubtedly one of the key sections of script, uh, script, key sections of scripture in all of the Bible. I mean, it is, it's clearly the turning point of Romans. It's clearly um, just packed with so much amazing theological truth as we consider what does it mean to be justified before God? On what basis does God accept us? There's no more important question than a person can ask, then how am I to be made right with God? And this is what Romans as a whole, but particularly verses 21 and 26, um, pick up on. And so let me read that passage again for us. And we're going to talk about righteousness today, righteousness, okay? But now the righteousness of God, verse 21, has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. How you and I define righteousness is a life and death matter. How you and I think about the righteousness of God and our own unrighteousness is a life or death matter. And the way that theologians for centuries have, have wanted to think about this is, is the idea that there's kind of two realms of righteousness when it comes to God, okay? So, so there is, there's the element of righteousness of God's holiness, his being, who he is in his majesty, his perfections, in his sovereignty, um, in his purity. There is not anything unholy, impure found in God. He is absolutely and perfectly, totally righteous, which means he always does what's right. He is the ultimate judge of what is fair, um, his character is one of righteousness. And so theologians have called this God's, or as it relates to us, alien righteousness, okay? Meaning this is a righteousness that's outside of us, okay? This is a righteousness that's apart from us, that exists in God, okay? And um, there is a second way, though, when we think about righteousness, and that righteousness is sort of what is found within us. Um, our holiness or lack thereof, our sin, 
our sinfulness, our um, how we measure our righteousness measures up to God's righteousness. And when Paul tells us here that no one is righteous, not even one, he's saying a lot there. He's saying that in and of ourselves, our righteousness, because it is shot through with sin, with darkness, with rebellion, um, is cannot stand or present itself in the presence of God. Okay, none is righteous, no, not as one. All have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. So his righteousness and our righteousness, our righteousness falls eternally short of the righteousness of God. So the question is, how does an unrighteous person come to dwell in peace, love, grace, mercy with the righteousness of God? And, and the answer that Paul seems to be pointing us to is that we need a righteousness, okay? We, we need a, a righteousness of our own by which God will accept us, by which God will judge us as righteous. Now, when we use these terms native and alien righteousness, what we're really saying here is that alien righteousness is a righteousness that is accessible to us only by faith. It is the righteousness that God credits. It's the righteousness that God um, counts on our behalf. And this is not because we've earned that righteousness. It's not because we deserve that righteousness. And it's not even because we've automatically become 100% righteous by receiving Christ. What it means is that there is a righteousness that has been lived out by Christ on our behalf. And so by him living out that perfect life, dying on the cross for our sins, Paul says it is through faith that we now receive that righteousness as our own. It doesn't mean that we're 100% pure and holy like God, right? What it means is that when God looks at us, he doesn't see us, he sees Jesus. And more specifically, he sees Jesus's work on the cross for us. He sees Jesus' 100% obedient life lived on our behalf for us, and that has been credited to our account. We did nothing to earn it. We did nothing to deserve it. Um, we weren't, it's not like we got righteous and and improved our lives with immoral standing, and then we presented ourselves to God, and he finally accepts us as righteous, as he is righteous. It's not the way it works. It's an alien righteousness that is credited to our account. Um, this is what justification is based upon. Um, you may have heard the term. It's a little simplistic, but it's actually not bad. Just as if I've never sinned, okay? Have we sinned? Of course. But when God looks at us because of faith in Jesus Christ, he judges our sin in Christ, not in us. And so this is an alien righteousness that we desperately need and cannot get on our own. But there's this other kind of righteousness, native righteousness, and it's the kind of righteousness that we hold in ourselves, in our character. And so obviously, because we don't have enough of that righteousness to get to God, God gives us his alien righteousness or counts it as our own. But nonetheless, God begins to slowly in a process over time to sanctify us, to change us, to make us more righteous, to conform us to the image of his son. And that is when he begins to take the raw material of our hearts, our righteousness, and begins to change it, to transform it. And we do, over the course of time, become more righteous, native to ourself. We become more holy, um, native to ourselves. We grow to be like Jesus. We are more like him now than we were then. 
This is called a native righteousness. Both are absolutely crucial in understanding not only their distinction, but their, their proper place as it relates to salvation. Now, one of the things that Luther was battling the Roman Catholic Church on is which of these is the basis for our judgment or justification before God. And the Roman Catholic Church said it is based upon a person's native righteousness, uh, meaning that this life is a, is a process of accruing certain righteousness or, or righteous acts, merits, that it was the job of the church to dispense these merits. They, they were merits that belonged to Jesus, but it was the role of the church to determine what earned particular um, merits of righteousness. And it might be a pilgrimage, or it might be um, viewing the relics of dead saints. Um, it might be doing certain sort forms of penance. And it was by these things that righteousness native righteousness was accrued to your account, okay? And as you can imagine, um, this resulted in no loss of assurance of salvation, right? This is what gave rise to, uh, to, the, to the practice of indulgences, where you could now purchase uh, the righteousness of Christ on behalf of yourself or other people. It's where this idea of purgatory came from, that that's a place for people to go who didn't accrue enough native righteousness on their own in this life, they are now have to wait to the next life, this in-between state, to accrue righteousness because people are giving money or they're paying sums or they're, or they're doing particular righteous deeds. And, and Luther saw the, the, just the utter hopelessness of that situation. He understood that th this was no basis of assurance of salvation and that this is not the way righteousness worked. The way righteousness worked is, is and it really comes straight from this passage, is that God in his perfect, holy, pure righteousness, no one can ever be righteous enough, right? No one can ever accrue enough merit in their life to merit eternal life. Um, you're in this constant state of being sort of on the hamster wheel. Luther recognized this, and he understood that there had to be a sense in which there is a, an alien righteousness, okay, that's counted on our behalf. It doesn't mean native righteousness is not important. It is growing in godliness, growing in purity, growing in holiness. This is what sanctification is all about. But yet that is the result, right, of salvation. That's the result of regeneration, not the ground of it, not the cause of it not the thing that earns us that righteous standing before God. And it's important for us as believers in our day-to-day -day life that we don't confuse these things. So for example, you may feel, quote unquote, after you've had a particular hard day, particularly hard day, maybe you really struggled with some besetting sin, maybe you were really at a low place in your life, it's very easy to feel as if your standing before God has changed because your righteousness has gone down a couple of ticks, then God's acceptance and love for you has also gone down correspondingly. And of course, um, this, is not, this is not the way the gospel works. This is why Paul says in Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so, but that, that can happen. We can feel condemned when we confuse native and alien righteousness. We can also flip it the other way, though. We can also become... Uh, very smug, right? Very proud, very self-assured religiously. And we can begin to think that God's love and acceptance of us 
is based upon how well we are doing. And we are doing so well, thank you very much. But again, we're deceived about the true nature of our hearts. See, it's important that we understand the difference in native and alien righteousness. And this is what Paul is so, so uh, burdened to show these Christian Jews and Christian Gentiles in the church in Rome that their righteousness in and of itself is not going to do the trick. They need a righteousness outside of themselves credited to them. And once they understand that, they can grow in grace without the pressure of feeling like I have to grow enough to be accepted by God. No, no, no. I'm growing in response to God's supernatural work in me and in my life. And this is something, this idea of the righteousness of God, it comes to the forefront right here in Romans 3, 21 through 27. Okay, so that's it for today. Tomorrow, which is Friday, we are going, I'm going to preview for, for us what's coming on Sunday and how these verses set the stage for verses 27 through 31 and what the implications are for us in the context of our lives. All right, so let me pray. Lord, thanks for this day. Thank you that you have credited your righteousness to our account. Nothing we can do to undo that, nothing we can do to deserve it. And Lord, we pray that by the grace, by your grace, that we would be sanctified, made more righteous in our person, in our soul, and that we would do so to worship you, to honor you, to live a life of thankfulness that's pleasing to you. We ask these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.